She Loves Herself with Jill Ritchie, showing you how to embrace vulnerability and unearth your power within. Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday and welcome to another episode of She Loves Herself, the podcast. We're back with another awesome guest. Um, Before I get into that, I want to ask you how your week's been. I know you can't respond to me here and now, but I want you to think about how your week's been. You've still got another few days and you're going into this weekend and I hope that you've all got some really nice plans. You maybe are doing something exciting, you're maybe chilling, but just make sure that you tune into yourself, tune into your desires and your needs. I know it's not always easy, especially when we're trying to meet the needs of family and friends and children, but actually take a moment to really tune into yourself and make sure that you do something just for you, even if it's just a simple thing on your own, Asking for what you want is really, really important. And I want you to think about what, you know, self-care and what personal development that you're working on just now. A lot of people, you know, will watch TED Talks and listen to podcasts and they're like feeling inspired. And it's like, yeah, I get that. But then often we don't get into the action and it's the action that creates the results. So first comes awareness and then it's action. We need to create the action to create the results. So Lynette and I are running our um, signature program, Unearth Your Life. It's a three month deep dive with Lynette and I. It's an epic program. We've run it a few times now and we have helped people create best-selling books we've helped people pay off their mortgage we've helped people create new businesses improve their relationships manifest more money triple their income this course is properly transformational and it starts on the first of september guys so i would love you to come and check it out you can get in touch with me via email hello at jill-ritchie.com or you can dm me on instagram at just jill coaching and lynette and i'll jump on a two to one 15 minute discovery call with you just to see if it's for you this is the last time that we are running this course of 2020 so if you want to end this year powerfully you absolutely can but it has to start with you taking action And maybe this is a course for you. And if not, that's okay. So let's get into today's guest. We're here with the incredible Deborah Davies. I really love this season so far because I love, I've loved season one and two as well. And I feel like season three is going in a slightly different direction. And it's a direction that's really in alignment with where I'm at right now. And I'm so honoured that Debbie said yes to coming on this podcast because I know that she's a busy woman. She is in Real Housewives, uh, Real Housewives of Cheshire. Get your words out, Jill. But she's also a psychic and medium, which is so interesting. And she talks a lot about this in the podcast. So we talk about all things supernatural. Debbie really opens up. She's so genuine. The minute she literally came on the screen, her face popped onto the screen. I was like, oh my God, her energy is just beautiful. I felt really connected to her. Just super, super genuine person. Um, And she opened up about her encounters with spirit as a child, um, which then 
led on to her later in life having to do seven months um, of therapy. Um, but it's funny because I, when I talk about energy, I work a lot with energy guys, as you know, but I, I've never seen a spirit, like a physical, you know, spirit of, you know, a male, female child or anything. I think I'd be scared. And that's maybe why I don't, because I, I, they must know not to, you know, show themselves in that way to me, because I think I would actually be terrified. Um, but Debbie's, oh my God, she's so, so intriguing and cool. She's really, really cool. Um, so she chats about, you know, how she connects with spirit, um, how she's actually helped to really look at, you know, missing people. Like, so uncovering um, bodies that have been missing for like 20 years. Yeah, it's a, it's a great episode, guys. So without further ado, I'm going to go in and let's chat to Debbie. She Loves Herself with Jill Ritchie. So welcome to the She Loves Herself podcast. Debbie, I am so bloody happy that you're here. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so happy to be here too. It's amazing. Oh, do you know, I'm just going to share with everyone. I actually um, could have started recording five minutes ago. Um, you know, when you just, and, and this is for anyone listening, when you just meet someone, and I talk about this a lot, energy is everything. You feel it before someone even speaks. As soon as Debbie came on, I was like, oh, this pull towards her, her, her energy and her aura is just so gorgeous. Oh, um, thank you. Honestly, no, it's, it's a vibration. You feel a vibration from somebody, don't you? And you, you also pick up on the vibration in somebody's voice. So because we're not in the same room, that might be. And obviously we have a visual with each other too, don't we? So, okay. yeah, you're picking up on, on the visuals, but also the vibration, the vibration that's there in somebody else's voice is really quite important. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, Debbie, there's so much that I want to talk to you about. Um, I have been sort of following you for a while now and really feeling into you and what you do and how you show up and, and reading a little bit about your past as well. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. So yeah. with permission, are we okay to start there? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. So Debbie, talk to us about like because God, there's so much to you, right? <laughs> and I'm like, do I talk to her about the mediumship? Do I talk to her about, you know, uh, real housewives? But there's there's so much, right? And I think there's going to be people that listen to this that are like, talk, ask her about this, ask her about that. But for me, um, I want to talk to you about when you started to notice that you had a connection to mediumship, right? What, what age were you? What actually happened then? Okay, so um, I don't have an early recollection of, um, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm seeing ghosts. Um, for me personally, I think from the moment I was born, I was just born the way I am. I, I know that my first day at school, um, I said to somebody, oh, your granddad stood behind you. Why, why can't you see him? And I can still remember the look of shock and horror on the other kids' faces. And, and obviously, I think I realised 
they they can't see what I can see. I grew up with a mum that was a medium, you see. So home life, my normality was very different, I think, to most of the other kids in the class. And, and I just literally walked in thinking that they were exactly the same as me. Wow. And that wasn't the case. So the, the nickname Witchy Poo was born. <laughs> and yeah, I, I kind of learned quite quickly to keep quiet about anything I could see. And that stayed with me. I don't, even now, I can be with friends or whatever. We can walk into somewhere. I'll see somebody. I don't say anything. Um, otherwise, I'd be constantly, constantly saying, oh, there's a man over there. Oh, you know, he's da 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 and that just would be weird, wouldn't it? So it is actually quite a lonely, yeah. uh, a yeah. lonely world as a medium, to be mm-hmm. fair. But when I was little and growing up, right in the very, very beginning, um, my my mum was the strangest mum I think you could possibly ever have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my mum, she was very, very strange. She she used to have groups of women come to the house all the time mm. in the day. And she'd be doing Ouija boards and seances mm. with them. And the house, as a result, was very, 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 very haunted. And when I was five years old, mom went out, started a new job as a, a music. My mom was a musician, so she played the organ. And she had to go to Manchester to work. She didn't drive. So my dad took her and it was an hour's drive there. Would have been an hour's drive home. And then he would have had to have gone back around midnight to go and pick her up and bring her home. It would have been four hours driving a night, mm-hmm. four to five nights a week. Mm-hmm. So rather than do that, they put me to bed about six o'clock when I was five and didn't get back till about half past one or so in the morning, one, half one. And that that remained in place until I was 11 years old when they decided I was old enough then to be able to go with them, you know, and sit with my dad in the audience while she played. She used to back artists like groups and solo singers, et cetera, et cetera, at a club. That was what she was doing. But from five years old, I was left alone and I'm an only child too. So there was only me there in that house and it was terrifying. Wow. Oh yeah. I've got goosebumps. A few years ago now, probably about three or four years ago, I had seven months of EMDR PTSD Mm -hmm. therapy. Mm -hmm. That was all relating to those years being left alone at night in that house. It was terrifying, honestly. Maybe. And mm. I, I think actually terrifying for any child to be left alone, never mind when yeah. there's fears of, you know, when you're scared as a little kid of ghosts. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you realise now it's like spirit. I mean, up until, you know, I started doing the work I'm doing three and a half years ago, I was like, put the light on, go down the stairs. You know what? Because we yeah. are programmed that imagine being five years old. Yeah, thinking I'm on my own now, and that you you mentioned you did seven months of work. Yeah, mm-hmm. wow, I did. I had to because oh, yeah. as that little girl, 
age five, I would sit there on my bed and there was a window right next to the bed and I would have the curtains open. There was a street light outside and I would have my bedroom light off and the whole landing light off because if the light was on, I could see what was there so much more clearly. So what I would do is I'd sit with the curtains open, that street light outside, and I would face that window. And just by looking at the street outside, all in darkness, it was a little cul-de-sac that we lived on. Oh, there are my dogs in the background. Sorry. Oh, mine's is the same. (laughs) (laughs) Real life. And I, I could almost kind of tell myself that I was outside um, there in the street and not in the bedroom just by focusing on that street for all those hours and not looking into my bedroom it made me feel as if I as if I in some way was actually out there because being outside in the pitch black dark just with the street lights was nowhere near as scary as being in my bedroom oh. so so yeah, and, and I would sit there literally just trying to keep myself calm um, because panicking, I didn't want to allow myself to have a panic attack because I, I kind of felt like if I did, I didn't know where that panic attack would end. You know, it was sheer terror, honestly. And no matter what I ever said to my mum or dad, I was the cuckoo in the nest with them and so they were together nine years before they had me they were older parents Mm. my dad was 46 when I was born Mm. mum was in her early 30s when I was born um big age difference with mum and dad and they almost still continued their life together and I was just this this object that was kind of there you know existed in the house that was Mm. you know just like oh we have to do something with her do you know what I mean? It's oh, yeah, Debbie, yeah. such trauma. And actually, I want to ask mm-hmm. you because I, I work a lot with clients with, and we do a lot of inner child work. And so, um, when you were that age, I know there was a you were very terrified. Was it a point where you got used to it? You know, when you've gone back now and had mm-hmm. to really do the work, mm-hmm. the trauma work. But was it a point in your life that you were like, oh, this is just what happens to me and I'm just going to get used to it now okay so my mom during the day doing these seances and Ouija boards um and I'm not sure if my mom practiced the dark arts in some way shape or form you know because there were times when some of the neighbors their their children had said to me why does your mom walk it was a very big long garden um why does your mom walk to the top of the garden wearing a big long black cloak sometimes mm-hmm. at, at night etc and I actually haven't seen her at that point doing that but then I did see her a couple of times as time went on and I never know what she did up there but she was a very strange you know <laughs> character if somebody really upset her um I remember she'd say well they'll be dead within four weeks um or you know and remember talking to my dad about something about wishing it on them um, I remember hearing that phrase a lot but sure as eggs were eggs there are two or three people there that I can think of that really upset her that they did actually pass away mm-hmm. quite soon after and whether that was connected or not I mean wow but mm-hmm. she was incredibly strange and you know something I I witnessed her reading for people 
when I was obviously very, very small and, you know, when I was older and she had the hairs up on the back of my neck, she was so incredibly accurate. It really was shocking, honestly. Um, but she was a, she was just a wild card my mom and so because of all the seances and the Ouija boards during the day and all the conjuring up of these spirits and things that she was doing what that meant was for me sat in my bedroom on my own in the dark there just desperately looking out this window to try and somehow psychologically remove myself from it there were there were things that in in my bedroom that I saw like for instance there was an old lady who was there an awful lot and she would walk towards me really quite slowly. She was very stooped. She was old. She kind of looked maybe in her nineties, possibly even, you know, a little bit older. And she'd always have both hands out cupped together, reaching out towards me. as She walked towards me. Um, she never, ever, ever actually came up to me and touched me. She always disappeared just before um, whether that that was her choosing not to actually really put me through that sheer terror of touching me or whether that was something to do with my own spirit guides protecting me and making her, you know, leave or go. I don't know. I'll never know. But there was some there was some really quite scary, scary ghosts in that house. I would have run downstairs and gone and, and run outside um, given half a chance, but there was always one particular ghost in the house that showed himself as hanging at the top of the stairs. Wow. And down them, I would have had to have run through him mm. to go down the stairs. And I mean, to say that that's traumatic is oh, just absolutely uh, wow. <clears throat> because wow. For, for somebody like me, um, who who has been born with that you know, ability there to see people mm -hmm. who've gone. It's it's actually like seeing somebody every day for how many years who's who's hanging, you know, I mean that's traumatic to somebody to, to find somebody yeah. like that mm -hmm. anyway. And and as a five and six and seven and eight, etc. year old little girl, it's it's absolutely yeah. Yeah. Shocking. Yeah, it's so, shocking, isn't it? Debbie, mm. did you never feel that there was anyone that you could ask for help? No, because all of my mum and dad's family, um, well, my mum by that point when I was little, um, I did have a granddad. So my mum's dad and uh, my mum's stepmom, but they lived up in Workington. We were in Stockport. So mm. that's like 150 miles away. And I hardly ever saw them. And on my dad's side, all the family are all from Cumbria, Barrow and Furness, all, you know, all the Stangleaston, the lakes. Mm -hmm. So nobody lived near to where we did for me to actually just talk yeah. to. And mm -hmm. even when I went up and saw the family, I didn't feel I could say anything. And this actually touches in to, you know, to now as adults, still now for a lot of women, if something is wrong at home, people don't talk about domestic violence. Mm -hmm. You know, people don't talk about suffering from anxiety and panic, panic attacks. People don't talk about 
the reality of how they're feeling because we're all kind of schooled from day one to go, yeah, I'm fine. And I live a great life, you know? (laughs) And and even as a little girl, I felt that. I just felt that even though you're asked that question, how are you? I couldn't give a truthful answer. Yeah, yeah. you learned learned not to speak your truth at all. And I guess the, the, the shame in there as well, right? Because it's like, I don't want to see and and, and yeah. think and oh my goodness and and what about friendships then like how was your relationships with friends and stuff as as a, as a child? So um, I had a best friend Gail who lived around the corner and her mum was my mum's best friend and so my mum and her mum used to sit together and do read tea leaves and do tarot cards and you know so you could never escape like the spooky stuff or the weird stuff Mm -hmm. but me and Gail had a great time we'd go off exploring on our bikes and you know I never really spoke to her about because I'd learned right from that first day at school uh not to really talk about anything I could see or felt and so that side of me was always kept only to people who really seem to want to talk about it and it's still like that today I can meet people um there are people that I know who I think up until the housewives when obviously you know that's such a big program now realize I do what I do but there are still people that until recently never actually realized I'm a medium Wow. Wow. <laughs> Never spoke about it. Yeah, I think so many people are scared, right? They're scared mm-hmm. of it. And again, it goes back to that being a kid scared of ghosts. Yeah. Scared of spirits. They're gonna haunt my house and they're gonna, you know, it's scary. It's and and it's this, you know, thing that again we're told we're crazy. You know, crazy, you're crazy. And yeah. and then that shame comes out around, oh well, you know. I must be weird or what's wrong with yeah. me? And we start to then suppress our emotions. And I want to yeah. ask you, like, when did you break free from that relationship with your mum and dad? How did that sort of end or has it? Are they still here? You know, what's that like now? So, well, my my mum and dad, even though I, I came to think, do you know what? I realised very early on, this isn't really how my friend's parents are you know none of my friends were being left alone I recognized when I was very very young that their form of parenting wasn't really in my best interest and it it wasn't great but I thought well okay that's them but for me personally I will always be the best daughter that I can be because that's my choice about me. Mm-hmm. And so I made that decision kind of very, very early on. And so I was always, always polite. I was always there for my parents completely. And um, both of them have died now. Both of them have passed. My dad in 2005, and there was me by his bedside and two nurses. And long story short um I knew I knew the day that my dad was going to have a catastrophic stroke and he was literally sat in his chair in the house my mum was there and I said do you feel okay and he said I'm fine absolutely fine and I said no I don't think dad something's not right and I called the doctor 
And she came out and she checked him over. She said, Debbie is absolutely fine. I think she was irritated that I got him out, you know, that I got her out. And she said, he's fine, he's fine. And I thought, no, no. And my half-brother, my dad's son from his first marriage, he lives up in Cumbria. And I actually called him and it was about 12 o'clock midday. And I said, I want you to come down and stay with dad tonight um, because I'm just... I just really feel something is going to happen with him. And he said, oh, God, really? And I said, yes. And my mum was really poorly. My mum was terminally ill and she also had COPD. So my mum was actually in a nursing home around the corner, but I would go and pick her up and take her to visit dad, you know, whenever I went, which was most days, really, to be honest. And so I was dropping mum back off at the nursing home. Um, my brother did come down. He got there about two o'clock in the afternoon. That night, he rang me about half ten. He said, well, dad's gone to bed. He's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with him. You got me down here on a wild goose chase. And I said, well, I'm sorry about that, but I'm just glad that you're staying there. And next morning, it was about half past seven, and my mobile started to ring, and I passed it to my husband and said, can you answer that? I don't want to. And he did. And I could hear him saying, is he still breathing, et cetera, et cetera. And my dad had had a catastrophic stroke in the middle of the night and my brother found him and he was taken into hospital and I got there and it was the 27th of May. And I remember walking in I mean, I'm, I'm kind of laughing here and smiling and that sort, isn't it? But I remember walking in and the nurse standing there and I said, oh, my God, you know, how how long, how long do you think that, that he has? He was unconscious, completely was in a coma. And she said, you need to you need to spend the next few hours with him. And I it just came out of my mouth. I didn't even think of the words. It just came out where I said, no. He's not, he's not going to have a May anniversary. And she said, sorry. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is a nurse, you know, probably thinking, what? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> what are you talking about? And I said, no, 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 he's not going to have a May anniversary, the 1st of June. It will be the 1st of June. And I, I literally stayed by his bedside the entire time, the whole time until he passed. And I guided him through his passing. Wow. I spoke to him, walked him through it. Um, there was one little tear that came from his left eye that I kind of feel was definitely my kind of spiritual acknowledgement to say he is hearing you, which I knew he was. I knew he was. And then he passed. Um, and the two nurses that witnessed that said, oh, my God, we've never seen anything like it. That was just incredible because obviously guiding somebody through their passing isn't probably something that, you know, happens every day in those mm-hmm. wow oh my goodness so I my dad really, I, I was with you on that journey there and um, my own mum had a had a massive stroke a few months ago and that um wow uh, every day we're we're in to see her and um she's coming she's also got cancer which ha- has made her very vulnerable to strokes Oh, she's only 67, you know, she's actually 68 today. She's actually 68 today. So she's 
had been in a hospital for 10 weeks and she's now moved into a, a place right now. Um, she started to actually show real signs of, you know, um, mm-hmm. yeah, improvements, which the, that wasn't on the cards at all. I mean, she was yeah. unconscious for 10 days and the whole passing thing. And I think it's that whole fear that so many have of death. Um, and my mum's really scared of death. Yes, no. most people are. Yeah, most so scared to death, and it's uh, the um, where am I going to go? Mm. You know, and my mum's an actual absolute angel. I'm like, mum, you don't need to worry. Like, you're 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 good. <laughs> and I think there's just that fear of I don't. I'm so scared to go. You know, like where do yeah. I go? And that's it's really scary. beautiful that you've you talk mm-hmm. someone through that um what a gift what an absolutely beautiful gift I feel emotional <laughs> about it because um we want to hold on sometimes so tightly mm-hmm. to to life even though it's not life you know mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. often I see this so much and I hear it we just want to hold on even if they're here in body you're like this is not good and yeah would you know I can tell you something that will hopefully lift your soul and kind of make you think, actually, do you know, Debbie quite might be right there. There were, may well be something beyond death because when, when my mum was actually about to pass uh, and I was with her too, uh, again, I did, I did know the date and I told every man and his dog this time, I knew the 19th of March. And everybody said, even even my husband at the time said, Debbie, your mum will still be here in 20 years' time. This is just ridiculous. Nothing's going to happen to your mum, you know, and she she did. She died that day. In fact, my, my mother-in-law at the time, she came in at half nine in the morning to see my mum in the hospital. And I was there and she said, you need to go home. She said, because there's nothing wrong with your mum and she's still going to be here, you know, for years and years and years. At 10 to 10, she was the first person I rang to say, I just want to let you know my mum has just died. 20 minutes later. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, exactly. But the thing I wanted to tell you that, and for everybody else listening as well, is something so incredible. Um, Back in 1994, I lost a little boy um, after 32 hours in labor. He had something called anencephaly, which is the worst form of spina bifida. So awfully tragic, terrible. But I I also viewed it as I was very blessed to have been given an angel, you know, because I knew that his soul is going to go on. But that's obviously my perspective. But when my mum was probably about four hours away, from when she actually passed, she started to say to me, now bearing in mind, she's a medium. So she hears voices just like I do, etc. My mum said, Debbie, I can hear, I can hear this, this male voice, this strange voice saying, it's okay. It's all right. I'm here. I'm with you. Constantly reassuring her. And I said, oh, well, who is it? And she said, well, I don't recognize the voice. And I said, well, is it dad? you know, because he'd gone, you know, just two years earlier. And she said, no, I don't recognise the voice. And I said, well, what about granddad then? You know, her dad. She said, Debbie, what don't you understand about I don't recognise this bloody voice? (laughs) She was such a dry kind of sense of humour, you know. And 
she kept hearing that voice and well then she passed and I kind of forgot or dismissed you know about the voice I thought like maybe it was somebody a spirit that was there in that hospital you know that was trying to reassure her maybe I just kind of you know put it to one side and dealt with the grief you know like we all do even though I knew you know my mom goes on etc I felt her arm around me just hours after she passed but anyway a really, really good friend of mine was um, an older gentleman called Albert who ran the Spiritualist Church in Stockport. What a lovely soul he is, was. And, and it was a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, and I thought, I'm going to go and see Albert. I'm just going to go to the church because I find so much comfort, really, from all churches, to be honest. And I walked in the door to go and see him, and he just looked at me and he said, Debbie, he said, You've walked in the door with your mum. And I said, yes, Albert. And he never met my mum. But I said, yes, Albert, my mum. My mum passed away a few weeks ago. And he said, Debbie, Debbie, he said, there's just one thing. Because as a recent passing, obviously, her time and her energy may be limited. You know, this is always the case with people who are recently passed and and." trying to read you know for somebody um and bring them through there is usually a limited time frame that you've got a, a small window of time to get something from them and he said Debbie I have to tell you this quickly he said your mom your mom she's saying you must know you have to know the voice he said there was a voice she didn't know whose voice it was and I said yes absolutely there was Albert who was it and he said she never recognised the voice, Debbie, because it was your son. And I was like, what? <gasps> wow, that was like a sledgehammer in a good way. Of course, we never heard my son's voice. He, he lived for a couple of hours after birth. We never knew what his voice sounded like. And of course, of all people, it would be him that was stood there. How incredible, what an amazing way to get validation, even for me, who does a hundred million percent believe in the afterlife. Yeah. What an amazing way to get validation for, for him yeah. still, still being there and him guiding my mom. So gorgeous, isn't it? And I, I never used to think, I used to just be like, oh, you know, I probably did, but I was just quite scared to explore years ago and now I do I, I I really do believe there is so much more and our souls choose us and we're here for a purpose we're here for a reason we're here to grow and expand and evolve and every lesson you know mm-hmm. that we, we have and we learn you know the good and the, the painful and I say this a lot, you know, we are a soul, but we are also having a human experience and sometimes really shit things happen and the human experience, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, just because we we know about this work or we practice, you know, healing and I, I've worked on a lot of healing and trauma and shame and vulnerability, but it doesn't make me immune from feeling overwhelmed and feeling sad and feeling like life fucking yeah. sucks sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm angry. I'm really angry today. But, you know, it's the part of the human experience, right? And actually not about 
suppressing our emotion because we think we should be happy all the time. We shouldn't feel angry. We shouldn't feel these emotions. We are a soul, but we are also a human being having a human experience. And you know something else as well? There is also um, a really good tool to kind of use to stop yourself um, feeling as though, you know, you you need to react with sadness or anger or, or whatever to something that's actually done to you. And that is to always remember that say you've got somebody who's, who's being really nasty to you. I, I always think to myself, well, that's your soul's journey. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going through some kind of life lesson at the moment where you feel you have to be vile and vicious to people. Um, that's your soul's journey. It, if it wasn't me that was standing here with you being like that, it would be somebody else and, you know, they would be taking it on the chin. I never absorb anybody else's mm-hmm. anger or <laughs> their emotion, their emotion, whatever it might be. I just never absorb it because I always think, oh, that's your soul and this is your life lesson. I just happen to be the one that, you know, <laughs> you're, you're actually, you know, practicing it on <laughs> I love that I love that and I guess it's right because everything's a habit we're sometimes in the habit of reacting and our yeah. egos can be so massive but actually when we take a step back and witness what's actually happening I love that the way that you explained that around mm-hmm. that's your soul's journey yeah that- not anything to do with me that that is your your go you're going right through some big life lesson here you know that you're gonna have to go away and think about or keep repeating until you get it you know and so you get why you're keeping repeating the same cycle um it's nothing to do with me so yeah, I don't absorb it I love that it sounds like Never. you're really good with boundaries then Debbie yeah having those yeah. boundaries with people yeah, I think it's just I have a, an understanding of life from a soul perspective far more than than an earthly perspective. Do you see what I mean? Like if somebody is is funny or strange with me or whatever, I don't I don't kind of think, well, why don't they like me or why don't they you know, why do they feel like they they want to be like that with me? I don't take it personally. I I think of it as oh no well that's their soul's journey you know this is this is what they're going through I don't I don't I don't wear it I don't wear whatever they're trying to project oh that's amazing and would you say then that you've had to work on that Debbie or is over the years that you've got back now or you've always kind of been like that I think I I think I kind of learned that spiritually to be honest when I was so little um having to go through sitting there at night on my own and I think that that obviously was a huge life lesson for me and because I I feel as if I am so in tune with the universe um I always always have of kind of because I was so alone there I've always had the universe there the spirits the guides the angels I've always had them as my little support network, it was always clearly meant to be. I believe that everything in life is meant to be. I was meant to sit there and go through that, you know, for a reason. And it taught me um, how to be who I am today, you know, as in, well, my parents aren't great for doing this to me, but does that mean that I in turn have to be not a great daughter, you know, and rebel against them? No, no 
the deeper thing behind it is I will always be the best version of myself that I can be, uh, despite anybody else's soul journey and how they're being towards me, you know? Yeah, not everyone's on that journey, right? Everyone's on their journey, but the awareness isn't there. And they mm-hmm. think that, oh, this is, you know, they don't have that awareness of the, the, the bigger. The bigger picture. Bigger yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, oh God, it's just so amazing. And and um I, I love that you said that I, I still can be the best version of me and the best daughter. And what what it feels like is that you kind of broke that cycle, you know, because again, we can carry a lot through uh our ancestral mm-hmm. bloodline, but you've broken that cycle because you've gone on to be a mum, right? Yeah. And exactly. So I, I want to just ask you, like, do they have their <laughs> gifts? Like, what's it like? What was it like for them? Oh, so I kept my the spiritual side of me away from my children mm-hmm. until Tiffany got to be. She's the youngest one. So James is 30 in August. Um, Matt is 26. Tiff's 24. Tiffany, the youngest, would be about 14, 15. That's when they all three kind of found out that I am the way that I am. Um, they they have no idea because I didn't. I had such such a, a you know traumatic time with the whole spirituality thing as a child. I didn't want to do that to my children. Yeah. I just did not want to do that to my children. So so they were never never affected by it when they were growing up. Again, you kind of broke that cycle, right? You yeah. had the lesson and then you kind of broke that cycle and you've healed. Yeah, completely. You and you feel the yeah. future generations yeah. of it. Bloody yeah. awesome. Mm. So good. Um, and so therapy, PTSD, the PTSD therapy, the eye movement therapy, mm-hmm. because when when it was dark and I was on my own, say at home, say Pete's gone, he, he sometimes goes and you know he flew to Germany to see Tyson boxing and you know that kind of thing. And I'm there, and I was on my own. It flicked me straight back to being little again in the dark in a bedroom on my own upstairs, you know, in a house. So the slightest noise was making me jolt like you wouldn't believe. And it was, it was kind of making me relive. So I had to have all of that therapy, but that's the, that was the only one and only reason that I had to have it. I actually don't have, I don't have any emotional issues um, connected to anything that's ever happened to me because I understand the reason for everything that's happened to me. I, I understand it fully. So so I choose to live myself in the present moment, um, never catastrophize looking into the future, you know, well, whatever will be, will be. I live in the, in the day, in the moment, mindfulness. I don't look back in the past because I'm not going that way. Mm-hmm. And, and I always still continue to try and be the very best version of myself that I can be for everybody that's around me, you know, and everybody I interact with always but I think that's just my soul journey personal responsibility right and I think that's what a lot of the time people struggle with taking that personal responsibility no matter what's happened and Mm -hmm. and and 
you know, crappy things happen to a lot of people, but it's actually about that, right? I'm going to take that personal responsibility for me each and every day and having that intention every day to show up the best that you can in spite of what's happening. And that's not always easy. I know that for sure, but it's inspiring to listen because you've had your fair share of, Mm. you know, tragic things and and a level happen to you um and you mentioned your husband Pete yes (laughs) so talk to us because you were married before right I was yeah I was I was I was married for uh, 19 years we were together for 22 years um myself and my ex-husband and and all of the four children I've had you know including the little boy I lost um we lost um yeah we we had a you know a fantastic marriage everything was everything was great and fine and well you have your normal ups and downs and things don't you you know no no relationship is a hundred percent perfect at all whatsoever um but yeah, we we went our separate ways, and and then eventually, yeah, I met Pete. But I, it's weird because I think I'd always known that I would eventually be married again to somebody else, even when I was, you know, married to Andrew there with no sight of you know a breakup. I mean, we all just got on with our lives. And, but I would, I'd go to bed at night. And I'd be lay there and I I could always see somebody stood there, kind of like a vision, really, at the top of an altar, but I could never see his face. It was the back of him. I clearly wasn't supposed to know who he was because then that can influence your decisions. So they spiritually try to let you know something is going to happen, but not quite with who. Because again, yeah, it would influence you. You know, the moment I saw him, I think, oh, actually, I'm going to be with you. You know, it's not. It is. And you have to make your own life choices without being influenced. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I met him. And, and you guys are, are so connected, right? Like, so super yeah. connected. And he, he had never seen a ghost ever. And Pete is such a caveman, such a Neanderthal, really. Such, you know, he's so kind of. Oh, really down to earth, keeps me very grounded. That's wonderful, amazing. But when we first met, he said, well, I don't really believe in, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I thought, oh, okay, he needs what my mum would have called a rude awakening. And um, so we were actually sat together in an old cottage at the time when this conversation came up. And he said, I don't really believe in ghosts and da da da. And this this twelve year old girl that I knew was in that cottage. I'd seen her as soon as I'd, I'd gone there, and I'd not said anything. But she, at that moment when he said all this, I I kind of shouted out to her in my own mind and said, "I think really he needs to see you, and <laughs> that would really help." And she glided past me, and he saw her, and his hands gripped gripped like the material you know he was actually sat up on the bed actually with his back on the headboard and I was sat on the end of the bed we were talking and when she glided past he literally grabbed the duvet both hands gripped it really tightly he swore and he said you just did that you did that and I said no 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 that obviously wasn't me (laughs) but she she glided past me um and past him and through the doorway and I said 
to be honest, she could have been a bit more spectacular and glided through the wall. Now that would have really given you a shock. <laughs> I think she went in easy on you. <laughs> My gosh. So now he believes. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, he's since seen, yeah, he's seen some incredible things. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible yeah. work. And obviously you're on the Real Housewives, right? As well. Yeah. Which is bloody like <laughs> massive. Like Gosh, how is that then? How does that, like, how's it all going? This is a strange one. I kind of always knew as well that yeah. I would definitely do that show at some point. I just knew. And so when that, that opportunity came along earlier on this year, what a shock to the system. A year living in leggings in lockdown, eating myself out of house and home, making these fabulous meals with a brand new arga that we've got and then suddenly it's oh um yeah okay this is the show um we start filming soon I was like whoa <laughs> well my life has gone upside down um in a fantastic way though I absolutely love filming for the show and um, the girls the crew the crew are absolutely just the best they're like family um, obviously with the girls, you know, you're never going to get, you're never going to get um, such uh, people getting along like a house on fire all of the time when you've got a group of really strong, yeah. strong-minded, independent women who have their own views, you know, and aren't afraid of, of airing their views. <laughs> you're never going to have, oh, you know, just like roses around the door all the time. There will be fireworks and... Yeah, that, that happens. That happens. But that's just part of the course with a group of really strong women, isn't it? Yeah. And it really helps, Debbie, if you don't take on other people's staff. Like you've got yeah. your way of working through that, right? I bet, you know, yeah. everyone has lots yeah. of on it. Oh, what does this mean? And why is this? And ego yeah. and all of that. But actually, you've got a great way of handling that. So you're supposed to be there, right? Because your influence that you will have and the dynamics of that group, because you're yeah. right, strong women. Yeah, very strong women. Very I strong women. And I couldn't believe that that straight away, right as I at the very, very, very start of filming, the crystal ball incident. Um, that crystal ball belonged to my mom, nearly 50 years old, etc. Nicole, um, you know, uh, pushed it across the table. Um, in that moment, I thought it was going to smash. Um, and it, it didn't. It didn't. It just hit some other crystals that were on the table. That was the noise I heard. And, you know, but I had no idea then that what was to follow was a few weeks of, gosh, old buried grief to do with my mum's passing. And sorry, my dogs are barking again. reason. <laughs> A little tiny seven-month-old Pomeranian that's barking. That's my little Tino, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I had loads of buried grief to do with my mum that I just, I didn't even realise it was there. And um, it all surfaced. And, yeah, wow, a roller coaster of emotion. And I didn't even realise. So there we go. I learned something about myself, Absolutely. you know. And again, it was obviously meant to happen to un unlock that so that you could yeah work through it I know incredible yeah. isn't it so I'm God. Mm. Debbie what's the plan like for the next obviously you're busy but like 
tell us what you're up to over the next sort of you know three to six months Oh, right. Okay. So I'm actually working on a murder that happened 30 years ago. Um, and I'm, I'm working on this in terms of locating the body of that, that person. Um, I'm working alongside some incredible, amazing people who are within the field of, of retrieval of bodies, etc. forensic archaeologists, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so in August, I'm actually going to go to the location of where I think one particular body is. And yeah, so far, so far, so good. And the things that I've said apparently are quite mind-blowing and that I couldn't possibly know. I'm going off visions that I've seen, that I've been given. And um, I've been told that it's really very, very significant because there's actually just one location in particular that I've pinpointed where they 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 really do think there's a very high chance of that body being there. So that's going to be really quite, yeah, something to be able to bring that person home to their family would be incredible. I'm also working um, with the Milk Carton Kids family too. Mm -hmm. So two little boys who went missing on Boxing Day in 1996 in Um, They're known as the Milk Carton Kids because when they went missing, they were the first children ever to be featured on the side of Milk Cartons to raise awareness of, of the fact that, you know, they still hadn't come home. And um, so the police suspect who probably more than likely killed them because that's 25 years ago now. They never did ever surface or come home. And um, and again, um, I'm working with the family on this and I have given a location of where I think the boys are. And so that is about to be properly searched with um, proper search teams, cadaver dogs and, you know, yeah, all the forensics coming in. And so that's something that, that I have an absolute passion for because... It, it's nice to be able to, I have done this before with the police. I have um, only twice, but on both occasions I was right. So, but no publicity. I didn't want any publicity around it because of the families, because it's sensitive. Mm-hmm. And you must always, always do things for the right reasons. Your intention always has to be right and pure, you know. And it's bringing somebody home back to their families that's been missing for such a very long time and had their life taken from them. Um, being able to do that, you know, is, is just, well, there aren't even words really to cover it. So we will see about these two cases. Um, but I'm hoping, please God, that with the milk carton kids there and with the other case that we can actually get those those children and um, this other person back to the families. Wow! Whoa! So, yeah, wow. and I'm unreal. I'm going to as well. <laughs> no, I'm going to a crime conference as well. I've been invited invited to a crime conference in September for two days. <laughs> So that um, I get more of a perspective um, of how the whole forensic side works and, you know, how a crime scene is managed and, and everything else. And that that will be really, really good to do. But I am going to be doing more work 
in in the realms of um retrieval retrieval of bodies and helping with unsolved murders yes oh my goodness how incredible what incredible work you're doing and such diverse work right yeah I know I know diverse you know one minute you're on tv doing um real housewives and then (laughs) then it's like oh it's amazing also also I want to point out I don't charge for anything like this either I would never in a million years but I do I will occasionally there on my Facebook page um I don't bombard people with GoFundMe requests but for families of people I'm trying to help I will publish their GoFundMe pages you know to fund searches for some like the milk carton kids they're having to fund their own searches um that's just how it is you know, so so I do I do that, but no, I, do, I I just don't want anybody to think that I would ever take payment for doing this either, because I never never would. That's not not what I'm doing. But I'm also involved in um, the Luca, Lucas Dobson water safety campaign too. So that's with an amazing man called Peter Folding, and Lucas sadly drowned when he was six years old. He was out fishing with his dad. And he was stepping from the jetty onto the boat and missed his footing. And he went in the water. It was a very strong current that day. And sadly, Lucas Lucas didn't make it. And um, in memory of him, Peter Folding has got together with Lucas's dad, Nathan, and formed this Lucas Dobson water safety campaign. So I've been delivering life jackets to primary schools with Peter Folding. And... um, those life jackets are being given freely to the schools. Um, we give about eight to each primary school. And um, the children, if they're going to go away with their families to somewhere where there's water, such as a canal or a river or a lake or the sea, they can loan free of charge a life jacket from the school to take with them and then just bring it back. And it's to hopefully raise the the water safety issue with the young children um but also give them an opportunity to have a life jacket with them if their parents can't afford to buy one wow oh debbie you <laughs> are actually uh, an angel like what well yeah beautiful soul to you know just to share everything that you're doing i don't you know maybe people do know this but if they don't, then they should, because it's just gorgeous, gorgeous, the work that you're doing. And, um, well, it's just been such a pleasure having you on this podcast. And um, I can't thank you enough. What a beautiful conversation. We've gone in this conversation and just ended on something um, really special. Yeah. Doing and, and creating change. Mm-hmm. And, um, not only changing lives, but saving lives. Um, yeah. For me, that's everything that I stand for. It's about that ripple effect. And if we can, it's mm-hmm. not the one that one person that, that we connect with and we support. It's how it, it affects their life and then how it affects their family's life because they show up differently in life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's exactly. that ripple effect. Debbie, thank you so, so much for coming. Oh. Thank, thank you, you for having me. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs>